Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. If you have spent any time in Paul's letter to the Romans, and particularly chapter 8, then you will have noticed there are bookends to chapter 8. At the upstart, Paul would say that if you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. And at the back end of chapter 8, he would also say that if you're in Christ Jesus, then nothing can separate you from the love of God. So we have the bookend of no condemnation and no separation. And right there in the middle of those two bookends is really the victorious Christian life. We might even say with Watchman Nee, the normal Christian life. Just the life that God intended you to live in Christ Jesus. And you'll see, yes, there are times when there's even suffering and perhaps you're led like a lamb to the slaughter. But Paul is basically saying nothing can separate you. God is for you. There can be no condemnation, no separation. The Spirit is with you. And even if you were to die, the Spirit is going to resurrect your body and totally transform you, spirit, soul, and body. All in all, you come out more than a conqueror. On the issue of no condemnation and no separation, we would ask, how can I have no condemnation from God? How can I experience no separation? Well, beloved, all of that is upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. Christ accomplished these two bookends for us. The bookend of no condemnation and no separation. And he did this through his death, through his defeat of Satan, and through his rising from the grave. There is no condemnation for me. Why? How can this be? Because it was all meted out to Christ. In Isaiah, there is the prophecy of the suffering servant. Isaiah 53 just the most outstanding, amazing chapter perhaps in all of the Bible. And it deals with this suffering, crucified Messiah, whom we say is Jesus the Christ. In verse 5, the prophet says it this way, But he was wounded because of our transgressions, and he was crushed because of our iniquities. And the punishment... For our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So, apparently, according to Isaiah's vision, he prophesies that there is a punishment that can make things right between me and God. There is a condemnation, if you will, that can make things right between me and God. And that condemnation was taken out entirely upon Christ 
so that I can be healed because of his condemnation. That is, I can be healed by his stripes. So how is it possible that there's no condemnation for me? Well, it was all taken out on the Lord. Again, in verse 10, Isaiah goes on in chapter 53, he says, But the Lord, Yahweh, was pleased to crush him and to afflict him with grief and to make him an offering for sin. So again, my question is, how is it possible that I can experience this overcoming life, this victory life, this no condemnation life? Well, it's because God was pleased to fully, completely, and utterly pour out all condemnation on my substitute, the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. But here it is, verse 11 especially. Why can I experience no condemnation? How is it that I get to live a victorious life and I can be healed because of Christ? Verse 11. God, the context here is God, will see the fruit of his anguish. The fruit of his travail. The travail of his soul. And God will be satisfied. That word satisfied gives me the opportunity then to live in freedom. God was satisfied with the death of Christ, the crushing of Christ, the condemnation of Christ. And therefore, there is no condemnation for me. Well, what about the other book end of separation? How is it possible that I can be united to God and accepted by God? Well, on the very cross, the Lord cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is also prophetically innuendoed within Psalm 22. You see, Christ suffered separation from God so that I can forever experience union with God, adoption by God, and being in God, never to be separated again. So we have to honor and worship the Lord Jesus Christ, because it's because of Him that I have no condemnation, no separation, and I can live in spirit as an overcomer. In this message, I just want to bring these two thoughts to your attention that because of the Son's crucifixion, because of the Father's justification, because of the Holy Spirit's indwelling, and even more, the Son's intercession, I can live in these two bookends, and I can live a free and gloriously overcoming Christian life. And this is the will of God for me because of the death of Jesus Christ.
God is one. That's even the great creed of uh, Judaism, that Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So God cannot be separated. Now I am joined to a God that cannot be separated. So the implication is simple. Until God separates Himself, I will never experience condemnation from Him. God cannot separate Himself. When a man is united to God, and God can't separate Himself, I'm forever one with this Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says, um, A man's spirit can be joined to God to such an extent you become one spirit. It's not that I'm the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. But I am joined to the nature of God. God doesn't separate Himself. I am joined to that non-separation. And so if I'm in Christ Jesus, I am forever united with God, whether I'm naked or dressed, empty or filled, whether I live or I die, nothing can separate me from God. Beloved, that is Romans chapter 8. This is what Paul wants you and I to know. We have to live the spiritual life apart from our natural observation. We have to live by an inward revelation that God has become one with me. I have become one with Him through the Messiah, through Christ, through His work, and through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Until God separates Himself, nothing can separate you. The Bible says that God condemned His Son. God poured out His wrath upon His Son. God allowed Christ to be crucified. And then God also raised the Son and God exalted Him. And God seated Christ on the throne with Him. God poured out all wrath upon Him. Then God rose Him from the dead. God exalted Him, um, accepted Him, enthroned Him into the heavenly place. So now, the Son is absolutely accepted. All condemnation has been satisfied on the person of Christ. So the logic here is simple, that when God decides one day to recondemn His Son, then man can be recondemned. But God has condemned His Son once and for all. He allowed Him to be punished once and for all. Now that condemned Son is absolutely accepted. Now. Paul's gospel here also, he goes on, especially in Romans chapter 6, where he says, when Christ was dying or condemned, you and I were condemned with Him. It was finished. It was done. So when Christ rose from the dead, I was raised from the dead. When Christ was seated in the heavenly places with His Father, I was in the Christ, seated in the heavenly places with God. Now, 
God no longer condemns His Son. God no longer, therefore, condemns me. God no longer separates from His Son. Because there was a time when the Son was separated from His Father. You may remember on the cross, as the Lord was dying, He said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you separated from me? Well, at that time, we all experienced in a way this, this complete separation from God in Christ. Then Christ died, He is raised, He is seated on the throne with the Father, and He's accepted by the Father, no more to be separated. That's why the Bible now can say to you and I, there is no separation for you. Just as much as there's no condemnation, nothing will ever take you out of the hand of God again. Only when Christ is separated from God again will you be separated. And we know that is never going to happen. So why is it that so many of the Lord's believers, including me, we often feel like, why has God left me? Why has He forsaken me? Where is my God? Beloved, that is not the gospel. The gospel is no condemnation, no separation. So I say that until then, if God could separate from His Son, were He to recondemn His Son, if that happens, then God will condemn you and separate from you. But it's not going to happen. It's a done deal. So, beloved, we can live, therefore, in this freedom. We can live in this absolute grace, even in eternal grace. No condemnation. No separation. And I also want you to notice, you will never be condemned by God and never be separated from God again, not only because Christ has died, took the condemnation, suffered the separation, but even more, right now, as Paul reveals it, Christ is interceding for you. And I want you to notice this in Romans chapter 8. Christ is interceding for you. Look at verse 34. In verse 33, he says, Who is able to bring an accusation against God's people, God's chosen ones? Who can bring a charge, an accusatory word against God's chosen ones? Then Paul says, God is the one who justified you. Verse 34, Who can condemn you? Who can bring a finger and point it at you and say, this person is disqualified from the love of God. This person should be separated from the heart of God. Paul says in verse 34 that Christ Jesus is the one who died for you. He was also raised for you. And now He is at the right hand of God. And then notice this in verse 34. Christ is the one that intercedes for you. Let me unpack that for just a minute. By intercession, we understand initially that Christ is praying for us. And that is a great picture. Christ uh, was condemned. 
Christ did suffer separation. And in a way, I suffered all that in him. So when he was raised, I was raised. And he was brought up to the throne of God, seated on the throne of God. I was brought in Christ to the throne of God. Paul would even say, we are seated in the heavenlies. Therefore, with the same acceptance that God had for the Son, you and I are accepted in exactly the same way. But now, if there is to be an accusation against me, if there is to be something that tears me away from God, Paul goes and he says, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. We actually have somebody interceding for us. So I don't know what this looks like. I can only imagine how Christ seated on the throne with His Father constantly pleads before the Father our case. Perhaps there are a lot of things that want to separate us. Perhaps angels are coming against us. Spirits are coming against us. Perhaps there is an absolute ongoing onslaught nonstop against me. Even if that's the case, Paul would say, no, wait, wait, wait. You have in the ear of God the Father, Jesus Christ. And He is constantly interceding for you. Maybe Satan is accusing you. Maybe. But none of that gets to the ear of God the Father. Why? Because Christ is speaking into the ear of God the Father. That's my daughter. That's my son. I paid the price. Here are the nails. Here is the the crown. Here is the broken side. I believe Christ initially is interceding by praying for us constantly and uh, speaking to God the Father on our behalf. And we praise Him for that. But I also believe there is another aspect of intercession And I want you to see the type and shadow in the book of Ezekiel. So turn quickly to the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Um, Go to Isaiah and Jeremiah, and you're going to find Ezekiel and Daniel. But if you notice in Ezekiel chapter 22, there is a marvelous picture of intercession. And I submit to you, It is a prophetic type and shadow of Jesus Christ. Christ is standing in the gap for us. Christ is speaking to the Father the things of His redemptive accomplishments so that we are not condemned, we are not separated. But here, a little bit of a deeper meaning, Christ is standing in the gap. There is, in a way, a hole in the wall... And Christ plugs that hole so that the enemy cannot get through. And I want you to notice this prophetic vision here, and starting in verse 23. Isaiah 22, verse 23. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, and he said, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy 
of her prophets in the midst of her, like a roaring lion taking prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have increased the number of her widows in the midst of her. The context here is the Babylonians that came in under Nebuchadnezzar and destroyed Jerusalem and breached the walls. And the Jewish people are vulnerable and they're being killed. The picture goes on verse 26. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things and they have made no distinction between what is holy and what is profane. Even the priests that ministered in the temple lived a decadent life. There was no division between what is profane and sacred. So they lived a mixed life, a lukewarm life. And it's trying to describe the situation of this fallen Jewish people at that time. If we look at verse 27, her rulers, the kings within her, are like wolves taking prey by shedding blood and destroying souls in order to gain unjustly. Verse 28, her prophets have plastered over their deeds with untempered mortar. Uh, They've just whitewashed themselves, as Jesus would say. Um, There was vanity in their performing deceptive divination. They're into sorcery. Thus says the Lord. Um, they, they're saying, hey, this is what Yahweh is saying through their divination when in fact Yahweh didn't say this. So the, this, the situation is dire. The people of the land have practiced extortion, have committed plunder, and have oppressed the poor and the needy, and have mistreated the stranger without justice. It's a deplorable situation. But I want you to notice God's heart in this decadent situation. And this is a prophetic type of mankind. It's not just the Jewish people at that time. This is a type of you and I. We are corrupt in every possible way. We have fallen, as Paul would say, from the glory of God. We've all sinned. And this passage here, it's practically you and I. And notice now, particularly verse 30, for the prophetic type here of Christ. He says, I sought for a man among them that would build up the wall. We know that Nebuchadnezzar, um, of course, they broke down the walls of the ancient city. So God is looking for a man who would actually build back the wall and stand in the gap. That's intercession. A man that would stand in the breach. Where there's a gap in the wall, God wants a man to be plugged into there to stand against the onslaught of the enemy. That is intercession. So when Christ is at the right hand of God interceding for us, I believe He is praying I believe he is talking into God's ear. I believe he shows God his hands and his side and his head and his nail-scarred body. And and he's, he's interceding. But I believe that there is also a gap in you and I's life. 
constantly there is a breach in you and I's life where the enemy does want to come into your life. And Jesus stands in that breach. He stands in that gap so that nothing can condemn you. Nothing can separate you. Praise the Lord for the intercessor that He is. And I do believe He is a faithful intercessor. And He's a complete intercessor. Every single time the accuser points a finger at you and I in a flaw, in a crack in our armor, or some gap in our wall, I believe Christ just sticks a finger there. And He plugs an elbow there. And I just believe He puts His body there so that anything that has to get to you has to come through His person. And we know that's just not going to work. He will not let any accusatory thing come to you. He's going to plug the wall and stand as an intercessor in the gap for your life. That's why the book of Hebrews would say, He will never leave you or forsake you. And anything that condemns you, even your conscience, it's as though Christ wants to stand in the gap, even of your conscience. Because yeah, Satan tries to accuse and he just casts him out. And your neighbor tries to accuse you and say, That man, God, you should not pick that man. Jesus stands in the gap and He plugs that breach. But also, as we will see in due time, our conscience accuses us. And we are often our own worst enemy. We condemn ourselves and we separate ourselves from the love of God. When we have an intercessor that stands in the gap. So Christ represents man on the throne of God. As God accepts this man, Jesus Christ, God accepts all who are in this man. If God were ever to reject Christ, only at that time can you then experience rejection from God. Can you follow my thought? He is utterly accepted by the Father. So if God were to separate from Him, if God were to reject Christ again, only at that time will you then experience that rejection. And it is not going to happen. Praise the Lord. So, according to Paul then, we can begin to live an overcoming life. Yay God! Go back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. If it's true then that I'm not under God's condemnation, God's wrath, if it's true that I'm not going to be separated from God, I have an intercessor gluing me to God. And if there was a crack in my armor, he's plugging that crack. Listen, he's the chewing gum on your submarine. When your submarine gets a hole, Jesus is right there plugging the chewing gum. He's the duct tape of your space shuttle. If a wing comes loose on your airplane, he's the duct tape. Like he fills in absolutely every gap that tries to get to you. And he's like, no, you cannot get to Francois. 
You've got to come through Christ. And there is no one that can accuse Christ. There's no one that can condemn Christ. That has already been done. Christ already died. He was already condemned. But now God has raised Him. God has exalted Him. Enthroned Him. We say God has glorified Him. There's nothing that can stand against Christ. And I, beloved, am in Him. So if Satan can get to Christ again, if an accusatory finger can hurt Christ's feeling, if anything can get to Him, only then can it get to me. So in a way, I'm sheltered. I'm protected. I'm living in this bookend of no condemnation, no separation. Here it is. According to Paul, we might as well start living the overcoming life. Look at it. The overcoming life. He says this in uh, verse 37. Just about the most beautiful verse in the Bible. He says, but in all of these things, life and death and persecution, in all of these things, we more than conquer through Christ Jesus who loved us. We are more than conquerors. So beloved, we can now live this conquering life, number one, because we're not under the condemnation of God. So when things go great in life, when things go difficult in life, do not reinterpret the heart of God. Okay? There is no condemnation. You hit your hand with a hammer, your friends forsake you, or, or you, you didn't get that promotion, you didn't get that job. It is no indication of God condemning you or separating from you at all, even if you were to lose your life. Praise the Lord. Number two, you can now live this victorious life because of the Son's crucifixion. You can live this victorious life because of the Father's justification. You can also live this victorious life because of the Son's intercession and also the Holy Spirit's intercession. We know in Romans 8 that we don't even know how we should pray. But the Spirit intercedes for us. So we know that the Son intercedes for us. The Spirit intercedes for us. <laughs> I can live a victorious life now. And I can furthermore, I wanted to add this just, I can live this victorious life. Yeah, no condemnation. I'm justified. Uh, I can live this victorious life because the Son is interceding, the Holy Spirit's interceding. But last, I can live this victorious life because the Holy Spirit ministers to me. He witnesses to me. He authenticates within me. He substantiates within me. He realizes within me that I'm a son and daughter of God. So look all that's for me. There's no condemnation. The price has been paid because of the son's crucifixion. The father's acceptance and justification of me. The Spirit is interceding with Christ for me. Um, the Spirit is furthermore witnessing within me. That, hey, you are loved, you are chosen, you're accepted. Hey, let's live the victorious Christian life. This is a great, great way to live. I'm living in between the bookends of, say it, no condemnation 
And the other bookend of? No separation. So let me close with a story. What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? Well, have you guys ever seen the Rocky movies? Rocky Balboa, the boxer? Okay. Let me just give you a little bit of a metaphor. And so Rocky has to train. So he is the one that goes to the gym. Rocky is the one that's got to grow these muscles. Rocky is the one that sweats. Rocky is the one that has to take this diet and, and be on this regulatory regimen schedule to, to get his body in tip-top shape. So here comes Rocky. He climbs into the ring and he begins this fight. And um, Rocky is the one fighting. We're all on the in the audience cheering him on, so to speak. And Rocky is just getting pummeled, and there goes a tooth, and his nose gets dislocated, and the ear tears off, and eyebrow gets split, and you know how a, a boxing match can be. And eventually, go like round number 10, you can't recognize Rocky anymore. You know, no teeth, nose sits in the back of his head. It's just awful. But eventually, just with one last little swing, let's just say, he throws that knockout punch. And in a way, Rocky is Christ. He's being beaten by the crucifixion. But on the third day, he throws that knockout punch in resurrection. So here's what happens. Rocky wins the, the match and he gets that big uh, belt that says world champion. And he gets that massive check. So can everybody agree with me that he is the conqueror? Yeah? That's Christ. Christ accomplished it all. He, he gained the victory. Can we all agree that He is victor? He is conqueror. He is the champion. Amen. Amen. But guess what Rocky did that night? Unrecognizable. Hey! He comes home, beaten to a pulp, and uh, he's the victor. He hardly looks like the victor. But guess what he does? He hands over that $5 million check to his sweetheart wife. Guess who she becomes? More than a conqueror. He took the beating, gave her the prize. In my little brain over here, she's more than a conqueror. She's got to cash in that check and just live within that accomplished victory. This is Romans 8. Actually, this is the whole letter to the Romans. Christ took it all. <laughs> Here's eternal life. Here's no condemnation. Here's no separation. Here is the overcoming life. And when you just take it and you cash it in, and you begin to live within that victory, you are more than a conqueror. Beloved, go with God because God's not mad at you. He has no bone to pick at you. He's not going to separate from you. This thing where we Christians say, God, I just feel like you're not answering my prayers. That's a lie. He is with you. And that's why I always tell people, go with God because He is going with you. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. So that is this issue of this intercessor, this spirit who lives within me, this freedom I can experience. Wow, I live in the bookends of no condemnation and no... Amen.